Uh, thanks for joining us on the Bridges Across Every Divide podcast. As a special treat, there's a hidden teaser in each and every title of every podcast and try to guess what it is. In today's installment titled, This Is My Gift and Curse, um, you know, so um, I'll turn the microphone now over to Phil, who has some things to question me on. Well, yeah, there are some things that um, you've held forth on in our relationship. And I must say, it's been a lot of fun uh, spending time with you. It has been very, very enjoyable. Uh, Tell the audience that Gene says there's uh, 5,000 people in the state of Ohio that make a difference. Yeah. And that you know half of them? Uh, 2,973 of them on my LinkedIn account, to be exact. But who's counting? (laughs) Who's counting? I'm not obsessive compulsive. (laughs) No. Uh Uh-uh. Well, when you first told me that, I thought, well, okay. But you and I have spent quite a bit of time on the Capitol Square. Is that what it's called here in yeah. in uh, Ohio? And um, and it seems like we can't walk anywhere through the buildings, literally, or on the escalators, or uh, in the walkways underground, or on the streets where you aren't being stopped and, you know, getting into long conversations with people. My, my, that's my gift and my curse. But... Well, um, it's sure working for us because... Uh, you know, your your connections with everybody, and they're from both sides of the aisle, I must say. And when we go to the athletic club to have coffee, mm-hmm. uh, we've met people from both sides. And, and it's been really instructive for me. I, I just have to tell you this one story. And, uh, and, I, and I don't know who the group was, but they called themselves policy wonks. And uh, I didn't know what that was, but that's a good term. Yeah. And and they were saying that they uh, and I, the the Republican fellows were saying to the Democrats, "We wish your party was a bit stronger, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're stronger, you give us something to work with. When you're so weak, you know, we're left to our own devices in a sense." Julius Caesar once said that I need another blade poised against my blade mm-hmm. to constantly rub against to keep it sharp. Well, there you go. So in this room where we were sitting, that uh, these policy wonks were sort of bemoaning the fact that they couldn't make policy, right? Because there wasn't that second knife, I guess you would say. Yeah. But so all of that's interesting. But you've also you've also used a term where um, you you say that bridges is an earwig that eats its way into your brain. I think that's a really a horrifying metaphor. It but, is, of course. So, <laughs> Look, not all my metaphors work. Okay. <laughs> Explain that one. <laughs> well, basically, when we were when I was interviewing you for the Center for Community Solutions on the video, and you'll find the video on the AHA website. Um, you know, I, I, you all of a sudden, if you look at me, you can see all the gears, you know, turning in my head and the lights going on behind my eyes. And um, I've been looking for some time for what I would call a um, unified field theory of public policy something that could address several different public policy issues at once. Is I, uh, look, uh, Einstein was looking for a unified field theory for, you know, for in physics. I've been looking for the same thing in public policy. The bridges out of poverty and the um, getting ahead program is the closest I've seen to that. Now, what we've done with the book uh, Bridges Across Every Divide is we've now taken that application of it, and now we've applied it, if you will, now to uh, how to move public policy. It doesn't matter what area of public policy you're in. If it's at all relational to any of the silos, uh, we're talking here about 
Uh, of course, poverty issues, affordable housing, transportation issues, workforce development, yeah. all these things get kicked up. So the, the, to, 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 to quote it from a piece of popular culture now, this is kind of like the Bridges model is one ring to rule them all, one ring to bind them. <laughs> okay? And um, I think that it really simply gives then policymakers a frame to begin to look at these issues and do so in a manner that's not red, not blue, not from the right, not from the left. And um, uh, it begins to explain the gaps we see in our society. It explains puzzlements. Um, uh, in, at any point in time in your community, state, region, you have all these jobs being posted that are not being filled. And when you get into Bridges, and when you read the book, Bridges Across Every Divide, Phil has 180 pages devoted to, I'm, no, more like, 80, more like 88, um, devoted to explaining how that worked and you know where those gaps come from and how, why people won't make that final connection to um, be able to, to fulfill that. And, um, you know, it explains how to deal with, um, you know, um, teen pregnancies, baby daddies, payday lenders. Oh, payday lenders is a huge aspect of, of, of the Bridges Out of Poverty model. Uh, lack of banking opportunities, lack of a credit history, um, you know. And um, the, what we've done then in the book is we've taken those items, those, those, those structures, and we've applied them then to how citizens – in effect, can retake control of the republic. Because right now, um, uh, there is a complete lack of that. We're not simply getting along. And for myself, this is very personal because, uh, as Phil's always heard me joke, um, I can make the argument that um, my maternal ancestors indirectly caused right, the right, American right. Yes. Civil War. Yes, you're going to have to explain that. All right. Uh, Okay, so my uh, mother's people were Scotch-Irish Calvinists who were living in Abbeville, South Carolina. I remember the name Abbeville, South Carolina here. In 1806, a Calvinist minister rose up and said, slavery is evil. God will punish the South for the sin of slavery. So free your slaves and, quote, flee to the Ohio, unquote, and to escape the wrath of God. And in mass, 135 families freed their slaves, small landholding farmers, freed their slaves, migrated north to the Ohio. Um, they found out later that one of theirs had not freed their slaves. They had, he had secretly sold them. So they held the wife and the children hostage, forced him to ride back to Abbeville, South Carolina, find all the slaves he had sold, buy them back, probably at a not a discount. Uh, and um, come back with the copies of the writs of manumission, and thereby then they released his fa his family <laughs> back to him and kicked them out of the community. <laughs> Do not let the dust settle on your sandals. Um, Abbeville, South Carolina, if you feel free to pause this podcast and look it up right now. Abbeville, South Carolina, take claim to two unique things. One, it is where the succession movement that caused the Civil War began. And in November of 1860, shortly after the election of uh, Abraham Lincoln, 
uh, several thousand men and boys gathered there with a torchlight procession, went to the courthouse, signed petitions demanding South Carolina secede from the Union. Um, now, what is significant about that and what caused all that is that Abbeville is also the birthplace of John C. Calhoun. John C. Calhoun was elected to Congress in 1810 from Abbeville. Now, think about this. It's just a couple of years after all my ancestors vacated. And so he, he, he went to Congress, later became a U.S. senator, later became vice president under two separate presidents. Okay? He was a real power of his time, and he called slavery a necessary good. Um, and so he was the author of the nullification. He, he did all the stuff that laid the intellectual background for succession. I maintain that if my ancestors had stuck it out in Abbeville, there was now only one voice raised in Abbeville after they left on the issue of slavery. So it kept becoming more and more strident, and there was nobody else. And it goes to the issue of who do you hang with? So my ancestors would have served church committees. They would have gone, you know, uh, you know, to the merchants. You know, they might have been, you know, it, it would have they would have been intermarriage between them all. And it's kind of, you know, difficult to exude that much hate to people that you see every single day. And that the Civil War may not have occurred, and slavery could have ended twenty years earlier, except that they all fled. Now, two important things to note. One, um, the United States and Haiti are the only two countries that ever solved the issue of slavery by violence. Okay? The other thing is proving God has a sense of humor, we're off in the butt of his jokes, is Abbeville, South Carolina is where uh, Jefferson Davis was fleeing after Appomattox. And he got that far and he got he, his treasure for the Confederacy caught up with him. And, and he, um, Jefferson Davis wanted to continue with a guerrilla war in the Deep South. And his treasurer said, um, we are broke. We are so broke, no one will lend us any money. We've all heard the phrase, not worth a Confederate dollar. Um, and he said, no one will lend us any money. It's over. And Abbeville is where Jefferson Davis signed the Articles of Dissolution of the Confederacy. So Abbeville is where it began. Yeah. And where it ended, ended. but yep. it began because my mother's people all left. All left, yeah. And if they had stayed there, so the the moral of this is: find somebody you have absolutely nothing in common with, yeah. and sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. There you go. Yeah, someone from a different class, different part of town, cross the railroad tracks. Pick some category, okay? A different religion. Find those who are not like yourselves. And in the bridges across every divide, we give people a means, a methodology to begin to go. And you can have your pick of four different ways to go ahead and do this. Yeah. You know, with many different, you know, as I'm teasing Phil, many different colors <laughs> and everything. Phil, Phil, Phil wrote that section. But um, so, no, it was, um, um, uh, it was a very helpful, very, very helpful thing for when I realized that that we need to have a different methodology of um, attracting this. Now, that kind of goes to the issue of you and I are completely different, yeah. okay? We come, you know, we have backgrounds, different educational outlooks. 
you're the children of Quaker missionary, medical missionaries. You spent most of your youth in India. Um, I'm from a small farm in southwestern Ohio. Um, you know, um, I just have to, you know, so what prompted you to actually say to me in November of 2015, why don't we write this book together? Hmm. I I guess I I saw the I saw your deep interest in this, you know, that Abbeville story I didn't hear until much later, you know, and your concern for uh what it means to have a community where people are prosperous together, you know, sort of like that middle class that we kind of miss uh from from uh, years ago but still still remember. Um I I think that your willingness to make connections, I saw that from the time we began talking and when we began meeting in Columbus frequently, mm -hmm. and I saw you being uh, in conversations with people from all kinds of, of political persuasions and being respected by everyone that you talked to. That's very kind. And and I thought, well, uh, you know, this is it's time to work on this, you know, and I couldn't think of anyone better and someone that's already into it and wanting okay. to do it. So. Well, Here we are. And you asked me in November of 2015, uh, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, the book has been a 28-month process. <laughs> and um, uh, it, has been a, um, it has been a real process and all that. But um, you asked me, I remember in November of 2015, uh, for me, one of the seminal things that occurred for me was in September of 2015. I attended a workforce development meeting in, uh, and this is where I kind of knew things were not going right, and we had to come up with some different methodologies here. I attended a workforce development meeting in Columbiana County, which is just, for those of you who don't know where it is, it's just south of Youngstown. And it was a meeting all about workforce development held to only have people from Columbiana County be witnesses and testify at this at this at this hearing, and there were ten witnesses, and about the third one in, um, she said the most remarkable thing. She said, "We need to go back to the days where you did not even need a high school diploma in order to get a good enough job where you could afford a house, a car, a boat, and a camper." And I'm just sitting there poleaxed. Because I'm going, whoa, all right, first of all, we're like 30 miles away from Pittsburgh, where Richard Florida, when he was at Carnegie Mellon, wrote The Rise of the Creative Class, which completely dominates how we think about all workforce development now in North America, um, that the future is all about people who uh, work with their minds and uh, not, you know, it used to be you need a strong back and a certain level of obedience to the foreman. Now it's about innovative thought innov and innovation of um, outside the box thinking. And I'm sitting there going, well, this, you know, but everybody broke out into applause and cheers. And I'm going, okay, this, this is just odd. And then it happened again. And finally, the last speaker was a well-respected uh, restaurant owner, and he was pounding the podium, 
saying that you need to have a um, uh, you need to have the need to bring back the time where you could make enough money without even a high school diploma. You could afford a house, a car, a boat, and a camper, and it was always in that order. And I'm going, we missed something. You know, there are those who talk about work and those who actually are there. And this got me going, all right, so what is it that we're still not doing enough of? And that is really because I knew this next wave of automation. So Columbia County is still looking back to the steel mills that closed in 1980. And they're still longing for those days of a sulfurous sky. And now people can breathe easy, but everybody there is uneasy. Okay. And I, I saw that and I was, I was profoundly, you know, and th- by the way, you didn't remember their view of the world is just as legitimate as yours. This is how they see it. And they're calling for basically five times the minimum wage for not for a high school diploma to be able to make things work at this. And I'm going, wow, how do we, how do we make this work? And it goes to the issue then also people are now unhappy with how they view their elected officials being able to bring about the needed changes to make this happen. And so when you asked me, I, all of this was going through my head and I'm going, wow, we're at a unique tipping point in American history where we've gotten to that point. We don't even know we're at that point till we're at that point. But boy, folks, we are at that point now. So... All right. Well, with that, we're going to conclude this podcast of the Bridges Across Every Divide and um, uh, look forward to um, uh, coming to your community. Uh, Contact AHA Process if you'd like to have Phil and me come. Well, there's one more thing they can do, and that is to find out uh, about uh, the Bridges communities in your state. Oh, yes. And so uh, if you're not already part of the Bridges. If you're not already part of it. Uh, and you're just interested in these kind of things, uh, get in touch with AHA Process and they can put you in touch with the closest Bridges community to you and you can begin to see how all of this works on the ground. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. And the book is available on Amazon, Bridges Across Every Divide. Thank you very much.